this is the Art of Warcast, a news and opinion podcast about card games and board games. Today on the Art of Warcast, Keyforge campaign closes at over $1.1 million and over 6,100 backers. Renegade Games announces October promotions. And finally, playtesting. All right, to start with, the thing that we've been covering all week, well, I've been covering, um, for the last month or so, and just ended about uh, six days ago, is the Keyforge campaign, which closed out at $1.1 million uh, contributed. And of course, that doesn't count for what I talked about last time, which is the additional cost of shipping all these products to everybody that everybody's basically committed to. And for those who are under a VAT, uh, value-added tax, then they're going to be paying a little bit more. So Overall, it's really exciting. I'm pretty speechless. Honestly, 750 I thought was a stretch, but we got there. And then it was 750 on Friday morning, and by the close of the campaign, which was Monday night, they had gotten another 350k, which is it just just goes to show you how passionate people are about their games, how passionate people are about this game. More than 6,100 backers. Now, some of those people are duplicates, right? So, you know, people wanting to get more than three personalized decks and wanting to get these things. But 6,100 backers is also nothing to be uh, shy about. That's a very, very high achievement, a very high number. I mean, at some point I was like, I just didn't think it was going to get behind four, maybe even five. I don't know. I'm... Maybe I'm not as plugged into the gestalt of of gaming, the gaming community and these GameFound campaigns and Kickstarter campaigns and the like. But I, wow, I, those numbers just astound me. So congratulations to the Keyforge community. Congratulations to uh, Ghost Galaxy for putting on uh, what was a very well done campaign. As I said before, there's nothing quite so Keyforge as a GameFound campaign. Right where you get to one stage and you reveal the next goal, and then you reveal the next goal, and then the, that goal gets unlocked or that combination, you know, that card combination gets gets uh, realized, and then you go like, okay, now I'm going on to the next one. Now the interesting part about this the last 350k is that there were no stretch goals after the 750. Uh, Ghost Galaxy talked about and made a post about this that. They didn't want to add more stretch goals because historically, apparently in Kickstarters and game founds and what have you, sometimes companies provide those additional stretch goals that they hadn't planned for and they end up regretting it. So Ghost Galaxy took the uh, conservative approach and said, okay, we've got our stretch goal of 750K. That's plenty of languages we need to translate. That's plenty of cards, localizations, that we need to make, I think it amounts to something like seven additional languages, maybe eight. And so you have these additional languages that they have to localize. That's a lot of work. So they stayed away from providing any of those stretch scores and they still got 350K more. Just amazing. There have been indications that there, you know, it could be as, as early as December 2023. And I'm sitting here on October 1st, and it is beyond the pale that I could be having new Keyforge cards in my hand in three months. I think 
at some point in the Game Found campaign, I remember seeing January 23 as the delivery date, but maybe it was Q1. In any case, this is amazing just to know that Keyforge decks are on their way. Of course, sooner is always better, right? Because then the sooner those, those decks come out, the sooner we can start working on the next set, which is Grim Reminders. So again, congratulations to the Keyforge community. I'm looking forward to uh, playing in real life with new decks in new and completely crazy ways with the Winds of Exchange set and hopefully get some organized play going as well. Not only casual nights, but some organized play. So a one heck of a 17, 18-day campaign, 17-and-a-half-day campaign, something like that. Fantastic. So Renegade Games, it being October, announced their uh, October promotion. It's the spooky, scary Halloween month. With Halloween 30 days away, Renegade Games announced that any orders going through their store in October would receive an additional promo pack at no charge. That's things for their games. Vampire the Masquerade, Hunter, and I believe Rivals. I know Rivals, and I think Hunter and Vampire the Masquerade, I'm not sure if there's anything else in there. Any order that goes to their web store any month of October will get this promo pack added to it. And that includes five vampires, four rivals from the nightlife uh, live action role-playing uh, video series that they have going on. Um, there, was a, there have been a couple of vampires published from their previous L.A. by Night uh, LARP series. And now they're moving on to the nightlife. And apparently they've developed, they've designed and developed uh, five vampires from that coterie for addition to the Rivals game, which is pretty cool. Like you know, when, you, when you start to integrate the live action role play and the RPG and the game, it helps with all three of those communities, right? It blends them a little bit more. I know that I'm more interested, and for the first time in a long time, I'm actually considering looking into Vampire the Masquerade as an RPG. Not by any means buying anything on my own, but maybe joining a local group. And I'm not saying I'm going to, but I am thinking about it, which is a huge step. One of the things that also happened between both games, between Keyforge and Rivals, is playtesting. So by all indications, Keyforge and Ghost Galaxy, or Ghost Galaxies, I don't know if they're recruiting playtesters, if they've started playtesting, what have you, but there's some, something is going on there. Move, movement is occurring. So things are moving forward with the playtesting. Uh, in a complete coincidence, Dan Blanchett, who was a designer of some of the expansions for Rivals, and I think a co-designer on the game, on the original core game, Dan Blanchett recently put out a call for playtesters for Rivals uh, on their Discord. So here we have Keyforge playtesting moving forward. You know, the, the machine, the playtesting machine is on and, and, and running. I don't know where it is. Uh, and then you have uh, Rivals playtesting recruiting going on. So those two things. And I thought, it, given those two uh, events... And the conclusion of the campaign, uh, it seemed serendipitous to 
talk about playtesting and my experience with playtesting and get a little bit of that out there and clear up some of the, maybe the confusion and uh, ambiguity around what playtesting is like and what happens during playtesting. So that's the big conversation that I'll have and I'll talk about next. All right, folks, so here's the thing. So I wanted to just give this discussion mostly because various podcasts and people speculate on playtesting and they hear from playtesters and, you know, they have playtesters who are friends and play, they, they tell them things and share things with them, but not everything. And so that kind of, it's a, it's a weird telephone game where, you know, person one says something to person two, person two posts it to discord or Reddit or wherever it might be. And then it transforms over the journey as it comes to our ears. And there have been plenty of people over the over these last few years who have shared a little bit, shared a lot, shared too much. Also, I, so I wanted to clear some of that up. But I also wanted to give you an idea, who those who haven't playtested, what is it like, right? What What is the experience of doing this very important function for the games that we love. What is it like? So that's that's where I'm starting. So to start off, um, I've play tested for various companies. So three of those three companies, <laughs> one company didn't release what I play tested. The other company, I I play tested three or four things for, and they've released one of them, which was an unmatched. Uh, set an unmatched set and I think it was one of the one of the Marvel sets for unmatched and I don't want to go into specifics because I don't know what was released and what wasn't there was another game company I did some work for and that game wasn't released and then there was a third company which most of you are familiar with which is FFG and for that company and I and I do this because I can talk about the products that have been released I cannot talk about the products that were not released. So because FFG released L5R and Keyforge and Marvel Champions and I think that's it. That's, I've, I've playtested uh, every set of Keyforge. I edited and helped playtest the Keyforge Adventures. I did uh, L5R uh, core set through like second cycle maybe i did maybe i did yeah i think second cycle so i did the phoenix pack and then second cycle and then i was editor proofreader for l5r through its life uh we play tested under filling shadow uh i play tested a plenty keyforge with uh, a number of people so i say that only to let you know that i'm coming from an informed viewpoint with this, I have a great deal of continuous playtesting experience, right? It started in 2016 and it's continued until today. First things first, you get contacted to be a playtester. You sign an NDA, right? The NDA 
it, it varies from company to company. Some companies have stricter measures like, well, you can't talk about anything about the process. You can't talk about like how you play test. You can't talk about the communication at any kind of communication that goes on uh, in play test. You can't talk about the cards in the, and, and obviously you can't talk about the cards as they might've existed in the cards, how they finally existed. And you can't talk about a previous version of the game that didn't get published. That's, that's all well and good, but some go to the level where you cannot even like talk about the process that they used. And now those are, those are not the NDAs. I, I, I signed NDAs that talked about the process, but I will discuss here a process in a, its in its ambiguity, and I'm not going to talk about any specific company because the three companies I've done work for all vary. So I'm going to try to speak generally instead of specifically. You shouldn't take anything what I say to be specific to any one company. So you get an NDA, you're excited, you're you're raring and set to go, and you and your buddies, you're all you all got one of these, and and. You want, you want to get in and get in on the ground floor of testing that new set or testing that brand new game, right? There's a big difference between testing a new set and testing a brand new game that hasn't been released. Uh, if I get have some time, I'll talk about that. Some companies pay, right? Especially the companies that have, like when you identify a group, some companies want you to have a group of three, four, five people, and they will pay a single person out of that group and they'll pay that person or they'll give that person credit or they'll give each playtester some credit or they'll they'll do all of this all of the playtesters will do it all for free <laughs> for volunteer and have their name published in the book i have to tell you that i started uh with l5r it was i i really wanted to see my name in the book and anything else was gravy but the structure of it is like you you're picked more or less individually. So if you need to play in real life, which is how you play test, you play test in real life. Uh, very few of these companies pre-pandemic, and I can't speak to post-pandemic, but very few of these companies had electronic means to play test. They wanted you to play test in real life because of the, the securities involved with trying to establish any kind of secure connection or secure communication outside what they had for their communication hub. So you're testing. You need a group to test with. You need one other person, typically. Hopefully that's in real life. So you get your buddy to sign on too, right? You get them to approve your buddy coming in and your third friend and your fourth friend and your fifth friend and you find somewhere that you can play on a regular basis. Now, they structure it in some, some, some companies do it differently. They say, one person report from each group, and that's usually how it's done. Sometimes they want to hear, for, they want a primary report person, and then they want to ha hear from people in the group who are willing to make statements, okay? They never discourage people from giving feedback. They always want to hear everything. Now, you might not ever have any visibility to what it is happens as a result of your feedback, and that's, I think, some of the frustration Sometimes playtesters just don't feel like they're being listened to. And that's the case because, you know, ultimately the designers are the ones that are responsible for the game. And one of the reasons that I got out, out of, we decided to kind of stop L5R testing. It was because it started getting really hard 
we were brand new and things were being released and players were playing these cards that we had tested and this game that we had tested in a way that we hadn't foreseen. And it was a bit of a real, it was a very much a bad ego trip. I felt to some extent responsible for some of the brokenness, some of the overpowered, like, why didn't I catch that overpowered card? Uh, why didn't I catch that one? Why didn't I realize that that card probably could have been stronger? And because of the grind that playtesting is, and I'll get into that in a minute here, my memory was shabby when it came to whether or not I had actually come across this card or not and what I had thought about the card. There were some that obviously stick in your stick in your mind, right? But you'd be surprised how many don't, how many slip right through. And that's because the process for card games for the most part, the board games are a little bit different, but, but card games for the most part, you're printing out cards on paper. So uh, traditionally what, what I've seen done is, so each card will be a page, will be represented as an eight and a half by 11 page. But then what you can do is, you have that as a PDF, and then when you have a when you print off the PDF, you can do nine by nine or three by three, nine images per page, and so you get basically what amounts to nine cards on each eight and a half eleven, eight and a half by eleven piece of paper, and you can print them out in color, and you can print them out in black and white. Uh, color is much better, but color is extremely expensive um, because. You're going to print out, you know, if a Keyforge deck is 36 cards, that's four sheets of paper. If uh, an expansion for a, the CCG that you love has 90 cards in it, that's 10 pieces of paper and all the ink, right? So you can imagine how color, ink, color printing could be prohibitively expensive. And so you cut, you, you print all these out. You cut them up. You cut up the not, the the nine images into nine separate little sleeve, little little paper cards, and then you put those paper cards into sleeves with other cards from Dead Games, and that's what I do. Cards from Dead Games, Android Netrunner, the original Netrunner, Conquest, demo packs of you name it, whatever card I have, right? And so I create these decks, and I build decks, and so on and so forth. Now, for Keyforge for the most part they would provide a deck and you'd play it and you'd give feedback but if you have a ccg then you need to build a deck so imagine for yourself trying to build a ccg deck without an online client because these cards don't exist in any kind of online client you don't know the cards exactly there's uh some indications, but the art isn't on the cards, right? This is in design phase. I mean, I don't think it's, I'd be revealing a big secret to say, hey, the art isn't on these cards. So you have the name, you have the type, you have maybe color. And it's hard to build a deck. <laughs> and you build a 40 card deck, a 60 card deck, you know, whatever it might be. And you build it with these cards in mind and you go for it and you, but 
when you when I say build it, like you get the list together, it's logistically hard to do that. And then you add to it that there's updates, and the, as the playtesting moves forward, the updates happen every. Sometimes they happen weekly, sometimes they happen every two weeks, sometimes it's every three or four weeks, but whenever it happens, sometimes there's wholesale changes. If it's a brand new game, the rules might change drastically, which then mean that the cards or or their impact changes drastically. But then the cards are redone drastically. And all of a sudden, uh, a pair of cards that you're building a deck off, those two, that, that idea that you're building the deck from is completely changed because those two cards have completely changed themselves. You know, it goes from an upgrade to an action, or it goes from a character to an upgrade, or uh, the power on the character becomes an event. Right, like all kinds of stuff happens during playtesting. All kinds of stuff. Now, you can communicate. All these, all these uh, companies have a central communications hub. They vary by company. What what kind of hub they use? Uh, they're all password protected, right? The community largely, unless you choose not to participate, you probably have access. Right. So if you're a listed playtester, you have access to the communication hub and you can chime in if, as much or as little as you like. They like more, obviously. Right. But it allows all the playtesters to communicate and to uh, it also allows the designers to observe that communication and listen to the discussion and listen to what people are talking about. So we've talked about, you know, getting set up with an NDA. We've talked about how you might start. So you get a bank of card, you get the rule set and you get the card set and you print it off and you put it in decks and whether you're building a deck uh, customized or you're doing like a keyforge thing either way you're physically building a deck and then the directions for the designers and i'm going to be purposefully ambiguous here the directions for the designers basically amount to several questions one is is it fun is the game fun to play why or why not are there any cards, mechanics, rules that are confusing? Are there any cards, mechanics, and rules that are especially fun? Are there cards, mechanics, and rules that are especially not fun? And to a company, they also did something which I was really surprised at when I first started but I understand now they said, don't suggest changes to cards or rules. Just tell us how it's fun or not fun, how it's broken or not broken, how it's confusing or not confusing. Okay. And why is that? Well, over time, it's really, and, and I, re, I understand, it's really hard as a play tester, especially if you have a lot of CCG experience. If you're like, yeah, you could take this card. It's not quite as powerful. It could be this. It could be that. It could be the other thing, right? You want to suggest ways in which uh, it gets better or it gets uh, nerfed a little bit because it might be too powerful. You want to do that. That's, that's, the, that's the impetus in all of us, and you want to do that. But here's why you don't. Here's why you have to resist, which is 
the designers, if especially in a CCG or any kind of complex board game, there are hundreds of levers that are being pulled and designed at the same time. You're designing all these levers, the mechanics, the cards, the functions, the phases of the game, what have you. You have all these levers going on. They're all being designed simultaneously in real time. Simultaneously in real time. It's a little bit redundant, but you know, all being designed simultaneously. To say, I think this card should change this way is not something they need to hear. They need to hear generalities so then they can be that they hear the generalities so that they can address those generalities with specifics. Because if you're asking them to change uh, card A by increasing its strength, you're purposefully saying raise this lever. But you don't know what raising that particular level will do to all the other levers around it. Sticking with our lever analogy. So stay general. Stay, you know, they, they're asking for fun, unfun, confusing, not confusing, uh, broken, not broken kind of feedback. And that allows them to then say, okay, how are we going to shift things? And I've seen things shift dramatically within a play test, right? They take one mechanic that was very strong in one house faction or clan, and they kind of change it completely or eradicate it and put it in another house faction or clan. And then they take it back and they, and they realize, Oh, that mechanic is really strong. Maybe we should uh, move that around a little bit, or maybe that mechanic is, too strong or not strong enough, we need to do something else. So they're not only talking about, they're not only considering the, the individual cards, they're considering the mechanics involved with the cards, right? Think about how much thought went into warding in, in playtesting of Worlds Collide. There was a lot of discussion about wards and how they should and should not work. Ultimately, it came out to be, I think, a perfect iteration. But it took a while to get there. These things that might seem obvious in hindsight are not obvious six months early in, into the development of them. Right? Capture and the mechanics of capture and the mechanics of steel and the mechanics of some of the rival stuff. Right? of how much prestige actually matters, how much blood on vampires actually matters, right? These things are all, especially when a game is being designed for the first time, it's very speculative. They're taking the, designers are taking their best guess. These are Rivals, Keyforge, and I'm thinking about like uh, games I play, Dune Imperium. I can't imagine testing that sucker, right? Those are, those. these are complex games with hundreds of, uh, levers to pull and when you're changing one mechanic capture be it ward be it reaping be it taunt elusive skirmish <clears throat> whether a card has a pit, an amber pip on it or not these are all things that the designers are adjusting through play testing and <laughs> Because they're adjusting it through playtesting, it can be really frustrating to be a playtester. 
if they're updating every two weeks, imagine printing off uh, four or five pa- four pages of a KeyForge deck, a 36-card KeyForge deck, every two weeks. And you're doing that, I don't know, you, you're not playing the same deck, right? So you might have to do that five or six times every two weeks and sleeve them. Uh, early on in one of the processes, we were the playtesters were asked, how long does it take you to prep for a game? And we candidly said, it takes us an hour and 15 minutes to get ready just to build the deck, just to do the work, to s- then sit down and play test. An hour and 15 minutes. It was nuts. Uh, and that's at the top end. I'd say it's probably 40, to, 40 minutes to an hour for the games that I test nowadays. 40 minutes to an hour before I can even test, before I can even actually go through the motions of playing. It's not easy. If you think it's going to be easy, it's not going to be easy. I've had the privilege and the uh, of, of having the time and the ability and a supportive spouse who have allowed me to continue playtesting for Keyforge in particular, right? It has been, it has, it was demanding from day one. It's continued to be demanding through all its time, all my time playtesting for FFG. Every week, every week I wanted to playtest the game, right? They didn't release updates every week, but you're expected, the expectations are different from company to company. Some, some expect you to post uh, a playtest report every week. Some people expect you to post a playtest report every two weeks. Some expect you to post a playtest like six over the course of an eight-week period or eight over the course of a 10-week period or 15 over the course of a 20-week period. You get my, you get my drift, right? And some of these, some of the playtesting, you, you get enamored. <laughs> I remember, like, I was like, oh, really cool. This was, L5R was the first course set. The L5R course set was the first one I experienced. And I was really excited about doing all this. And very quickly, the work overwhelmed me, right? And it's not over and done. It's not like you go in and playtest for a couple of weeks. What you're doing is you're really signing up for a few months at, at least. And that's why we had so many people drop. The activity level in the first couple of weeks of playtesting, if it was, let's, let's just set the, let's just say, if the activity level was 100 in the first couple of weeks of playtesting where everybody was engaged by week three after they had released, okay, here, go, go playtest the game. Here's version one, go playtest the game. You got reports from 70, 75% of the people. By the time they were to version two of the game and doing reports, maybe 50%. And then over time, it gets down and you just lose people over time. And you, it's not like you can bring others in in that time frame because they, have, they would have so much catching up to do. So you need to start with a really large group, assuming that you're going to it's going to end up being very small or a very small share of that group is going to finish your playtesting sessions for you. I've only had to back out of one playtesting agreement and it sucked to do that. I had to back out of it because I just didn't have the, didn't have the uh, support structure in place to do it at the time. So I want to one say it's exciting to playtest, but it's also a huge challenge to do so huge challenge one of the things you also have to realize is that you get to play i probably played more games of l5r that don't exist than i have played of games of l5r that do 
when you're playtesting a brand new game, you're playtesting testing a game that's not going to exist. And the game rules change. The rules change. The cards change. The whole thing changes. Uh, Marvel Champions changed significantly over its playtesting period. It turned out to be a fabulous game, right? I'm not a Marvel Champions player, but I like where it ended up. From where it began to where it ended up, huge difference. Amazing stuff. And the designers did fabulously. They heard the feedback and they, they, they acted on it. They iterated the rules. They iterated the cards. They iterated the mechanics. It all happened. Turned out wonderfully. So I would urge you to playtest. But playtest only if you know you have four or five hours every couple of weeks to devote to this including some time online during the evenings to engage in discussion. I teach graduate school. I tell my learners for every graduate course you're in, you should expect to work nine to 12 hours a week. As I sit here, I realize that that's probably a good barometer for any playtest session you're in. Expect to contribute nine to 12 hours a week. On average, it's going to ebb and flow, right? So it's a little bit, it's like, you know, 25% of a, of a job, it's a quarter of a job. And that's not necessarily, that's not nine to 12 hours of playing. If you're lucky out of the nine hours, three hours is playing, five hours is playing. Half that time is probably just getting ready to play or figuring out how to play. It's not easy. It is a grind. It lasts months, but there is to some extent a reward. Now the back, the, the reason why I, backed out of L5R was because I felt responsibility for a lot of the game. I felt responsibility for missing the overpowered cards, for missing the underpowered cards, for missing how any particular card could affect the, the meta. And I felt guilty. I felt bad. Um, and then I asked a designer friend of mine how they dealt with that feedback hearing that the game sucked or the game was no good or this that the other thing and um the bit of advice that i heard which was excellent which was when someone is saying that their house their clan their deck doesn't work uh it's the designers suck what they are saying is that I love my house, clan, or faction, and I wish it were stronger, right? They're showing their passion for the game. And that's what I take heart in, right? That when someone is saying, I wish this were better, they're saying, I love my clan. I love my house. I love my faction. And I wish it were better, right? I want my faction to win. I want my house to win. You know, worlds, the Keyforge community, Worlds Collide Brobnar. There's a huge, you know, there you can find why Worlds Collide Brobnar sucks uh, threads online. To, to some extent, they, they have a point. I wish it were better. I love Brobnar. I wish it were better. I think my perfect, I think my perfect deck would be Brobnar, Logos, and Mars, honestly. Now, Brobnar and Mars make their return in Winds of Exchange, but Logos isn't there. Uh, so that kind of sucks. I look forward to being part of this, and if I get the chance to play for Ghost uh, playtest for Ghost Galaxy, yay! Um, if I don't, it's been a good run so far. 
I hope that this has been informative for you. If you were interested in hearing about playtesting and what, ha what have you, and maybe didn't know, maybe you were interested in doing it, and maybe this has scared you off, or maybe this has gotten you more interested. Either way, uh, good luck. All right, on to what I'm reading, watching, so on and so forth. Well, what I'm reading is The Art of Prophecy by Wesley Chu. There are some books that just, you know, from page 10, they just ask to be read continuously. And this is one of those. There's some books that you can read 20 pages, put down for a day, pick back up and go for it. Wesley Chu's this, this Art of Prophecy is one where you kind of, I'm reading it with every available moment I have, right? Waiting for somebody to join my game on TCO, reading a paragraph, reading a page, reading as much as I can before somebody joins. Waiting to pick up my kids from school, reading a page, a two, maybe three, maybe four if I'm there early. So I highly recommend it. Art of Prophecy by Wesley Chu. And then I just binged in the last week all three series because they're not called series on BBC or they're not called seasons on BBC. They're called series. But there are three seasons of Ghosts on HBO Max. And Ghosts is this is the original BBC series on which the American series is based. And so I watched the BBC series, and it's quite fun, quite engaging. Uh, that's all I have for now, folks. I hope you enjoyed my uh, discussion about playtesting. And uh, thanks to the Keyforge community for doing all they did during that CameFound campaign. That's just, again, I continue to be astounded by that, by those numbers. 6,100 plus backers, more than $1.1 million. Amazing stuff. Until next time. Remember, you have a choice. Increase the cool in the world or decrease the suck. Thanks for listening.